0: up in the Ottawa Valley. I grew up in the Ottawa Valley, north of Ottawa. Um, But when I was a kid, I used to always have dreams. And when I say dreams, I always would have, uh, every once in a while, and once in a while, it felt like it was fairly regular, if you remember, as kids. Um, I wouldn't have dreams. I'd have nightmares. And I would have nightmares of being chased by snakes. Yeah, I know, right? And so I have grown up now to be not just, um, it's not that I don't like snakes. It's not that I dislike snakes. I know none of us encourage people to use the word because it's really strong and powerful. But like, I hate snakes. I despise snakes. And so I remember a couple of dreams that I had. I was being chased one time. I was being chased by these guys, and I'm pretty sure as a kid, like I, these guys were chasing me. They wanted to kill me. And they were chasing me through these hallways, and I probably just watched too many like action movies. But anyway, they were chasing me through this building, and all of a sudden, I was running down this hallway, and they stopped chasing me. Now, how many people know when you watch a movie and they stop chasing them, they're running into something? So they stopped chasing me, and all of a sudden, I stepped on a carpet in the hallway, and the carpet Gave through and fell into the floor, and all of a sudden, when I got out of the carpet, I'm in water, so I'm struggling to get out of this carpet so I can breathe and swim. And the moment I got out of this carpet, I'm in water full of snakes. And then I wake up, and then I remember having another dream where I'm laying on a raft, and this raft is full of dead snakes. And I'm laying on this raft full of dead snakes and all of a sudden I can see something moving through the snakes. And as it's moving, I can tell and know there is a live snake on this raft. And I'm panicking and I don't know what to do. So like any person in a dream that's panicking, I freeze. And I don't move. And then all of a sudden in my dream, the snake bites me in the neck right here. And I wake up immediately, and my bedsheet is touching my neck right here. Needless to say, I was awake. These are some of the dreams that I've had. And I had these dreams, and all of a sudden, they just created this fear of snakes in my life. And so what happens is, I'm working at this water park. Yes, Cobden. Cobden town of a 1,000 people has a water park. I don't understand, but we have a water park. I grew up at this water park my whole life, and around the age of 15, I started working there. And probably around the age of 19 or 20, I'm gone down for my lunch break to the waterfront area. The waterfront area is where we have paddle boats. We had a trampoline in the water and all that fun stuff. And so I go down there to eat my lunch, and I'm sitting at a picnic table, talking to my buddies that are working at the waterfront, and there's a guest sitting there who's talking with us. Now, you have to realize, at this time, as a teenager in my 19 or 20s, I'm in very good shape, so I don't look, I look intimidating. I'm not somebody who looks scared. And as I'm sitting there eating my lunch, I feel this leaf blow across both my feet. And in my head, I'm like, oh, it's a leaf. And then my brain goes, it's July. There's no leaves." And there's not a leaf big enough to touch both your feet at one time. Now, I'm sure there's a tree lover in the place here that goes, actually, Chad, there is a leaf, not in Cobden. So I look under the table to see the leaf. And here is a water snake. And a good length one. I'm not exaggerating when I say probably about that long. And nice and thick. I want to let you know, at that age, I could move quick anyway. But within half a second, I'm standing on top of the picnic table, probably screaming in a higher-pitched voice than I would like to admit. And I'm freaking right out. The gentleman at the table, who is a guest that's visiting the park, he's staying in one of the condo units. I, share, didn't, I withheld this information from you. He's from Texas, so he gets up, grabs a paddle, just scoops this snake up, and's holding it in the air, and holds it towards me, and just goes, where do you want this little thing? First off, he didn't have to say little thing. At that point, I just want it dead. So if there's animal lovers in the room, I don't classify snakes as animals. At this point in my life, if I see a snake, I don't care if it's six feet, six inches. And by that, I don't mean six feet or six foot six. I mean six inches. I kill it. Because I'm bigger. And so I don't even remember if he put it in a bucket or if he tossed it out in the lake, which I was like, don't throw it in the lake. There's people there. So I don't know what he did with it. But I learned a couple things that day. I learned that I really do hate snakes. And I learned that I'm never going to Texas. Because he started telling me about snakes in Texas. And I was like, thank you, I'm never coming to your house. Today I have the privilege, as we're talking about the names of God, to talk to you about Jehovah Shahom. The Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. And I want you to know in that moment... I did not have peace. There was no peace in my life. My heart was pounding. I was sweating. And I probably thought things I shouldn't think. And all of us have these moments in our lives. We have these triggers in our lives that will send panic through our hearts. But Isaiah 9, verse 6, says this, and we read this so many times at Christmas, but we have to realize it's not just meant for Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now before I go into this, I just thought of something I should remind everybody. Because the moment I tell people that I'm scared of snakes or petrified of snakes, they immediately are like, we should put a snake in his office. I want you to know, I'm older now, I could have a heart attack. (laughs) You might think it's funny until you kill me. So I just want to like pull out those like, hey, you know what a funny prank is? We should put a snake near Chad. Don't do it, please. I love all of you. So before Jesus arrives, before he even comes To earth before anything like that. It is prophesied to us. It is prophesied that he would be the prince of peace. So where does your peace come from? Where does your peace come from in your life? Romans 15.13 says that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you. It's interesting that it says, may he. May means expressing possibility. May means expressing permission. May I give you something. So God is saying here that Paul is writing and he says, may the Lord of hope fill you with all joy and peace. It's a possibility for you to have peace. The possibility is there. So what do we need to do? The verse goes on to say, as you trust in him. As you trust in him. So we need to trust in him. As we talked about last week, we need to trust in God over ourselves. We need to trust in him over our education, over our financial stability, over our problem-solving skills. We need to trust in him over ourselves and then as Romans 15 33 says the God of peace be with you all be with you all because when he is here with us the enemy and the enemy is attacking us that we have peace because remember when the enemy tries to attack you Romans goes on to say in chapter 16 20 the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet he will crush Satan under your feet. Because what you have to remember if you're like, well, I'm not really being attacked. Remember that the enemy has come to, as Jesus says in John 10.10, he has come only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief, the devil, Satan, only comes to steal from you. He wants to take you. What you have. He wants to take what is yours. He wants to take what God has given you. He wants to kill the promises that God has put in your life. He wants to kill the promises that God has. He wants to destroy your hope and your future. He's here to lie. He's here to steal, kill, and destroy. And the way that he does that so many times is that he lies. He is such a liar that this is how Jesus describes him. In John 8, 44, Jesus says, speaking of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. Whatever he says to you, whatever the enemy says to you, there is no truth in it, because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. And the father of lies. Satan lies to you. See, Satan can't create things. He's not a creative person. What he does is he manipulates, he twists, he perverts the things that God has created. He will lie to you. He lies so much that Jesus tells us that it's his native language. It's natural to him. It just comes easy. Satan Will lie to you. And as he does this, he destroys the things that we have. Now, as we think of the peace of God, if you're like me, many of us we have things in our lives that are, are threats or, or big or small, they're rational or irrational, but there are things that throw us into panic, there are things that take our peace away. I read before that your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Now, this is good news to us as Christians. If we do what Philippians 4.8 says, which says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy... Think about such things. Think about such things. So if your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts and your thoughts are always on things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely, then you're going to move in the right direction. And we'll have peace. The hard part is that Satan is a liar. So he's going to come in and try to steal those things away. And for some reason, we tend to think about things that are dishonorable or false, sometimes ugly or make us anxious or unjust or fearful or just plain irrational. How many of us, if you want to think, okay, I I want to make sure I'm thinking positive things, I got to make sure, like Chad, I think I'm a positive-minded person. If your spouse is supposed to be home from work, At 4 o'clock and it is now quarter after 4 or 4.30. What's the thought that goes through your mind? Is your thought, you know what, they're probably sharing Jesus Christ with somebody and praying for somebody. Then you're probably thinking positive thoughts. But if all of us are honest, we start thinking they're dead somewhere on the side of the road. So we have to realize that the enemy wants to lie, he wants to steal, he wants to kill, he wants to destroy. Our runaway negative thoughts can spiral us out of control and lead our minds and lives in the wrong direction. So why do we panic? Why do I panic? Why do you panic? Why do we lose our peace? Well, it's interesting that there is a spiritual side to this, But then there's also a natural side to this. There is a small almond-shaped part of your brain called the amygdala. The amygdala helps define and regulate our emotions. It helps define and regulate our emotions. These are called emotional remembrances. So it remembers something and then it helps us to respond in the way that we are supposed to. Now, the amygdala drives our so-called, what we call our fight-or-flight responses. So when you get in an awkward situation and you know, okay, i got to stand up or i got to run, that's your amygdala kicking in. It deploys adrenaline into your body, preparing it for action, preparing you for battle, preparing you for the problem at hand. Now, there's only one problem with your amygdala. It's not objective. It doesn't sort through all of the data. It will respond the same way as a snake crawling across your feet as it will for a challenging conversation. It just pumps adrenaline and it forces you to respond. So our amygdala is true in the fight or flight situations, it's your best friend. But in outside of those situations, it's actually going to work against you. So God being the amazing God that he is, he also gave us another part of our brain to help us with our confused amygdala. And it's called our prefrontal cortex. It's the logical part of our brain. Your amygdala, if you think about it for a minute, your, frontal corp, uh, your frontal, prefrontal cortex is where you process data. It's logical. It thinks about things. So if you're Ronald or related to something, your amygdala is like your twitchy, over-caffeinated, always edgy, overactive, high blood pressure cousin. And your prefrontal cortex is your thoughtful, level-headed, even-keel, even-tempered, Uncle that has a law degree. Processes the data, figures it out. So for example, I'm having a bonfire with some friends on Friday night. And in the middle of the conversation, I feel something touch my foot. My amygdala tells me there's a snake at my feet. My prefrontal cortex tells me I've never seen a snake at my house, ever. My amygdala tells me to run and hide. My cortex tells me it's a piece of grass. My amygdala yells back even louder, it's a snake, it's going to bite you and kill you. My, tor- my frontal cortex tells me to take out my phone and to shine it on the grass because there's nothing there. So I pull out my phone, I turn the flashlight on, I look down on my feet and there's nothing there. Now, maybe you're in the room and you've never had conversations like this in your head. Maybe not about a snake, maybe not about a piece of grass, but I'm sure if you're like me, you have these conversations in your life on a regular basis in a matter of seconds. Something's going on and you you're want to run, you want to hide and your body's telling you, you got to get out of here. But my, your, your mind's starting to process and go, actually, you're okay. And we have these conversations within seconds. But our logical part of our brain is there to help keep our emotions in check. What we crave in our lives is peace. We crave peace. So how do we not plunge into panic instead of finding the pathway from problems to peace? Well, the good news is this. That in our answer, the answer that you're looking for is actually just one prayer away. See, if we're honest, what causes us to panic, most of us, we can handle one situation. We can handle a problem. We might be able to handle two problems. But normally what happens is when a whole pile of problems come at the same time, that's when we begin to panic. That's when we begin to feel overwhelmed. And that's when we need to train ourselves to master our thoughts and fix our thoughts and our worship on God. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against us, against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We actually can take captive our thoughts. Some of the ways that I take captive some of my my thoughts is I simply pray. Lord, I know this thought is not of you. Please take this thought. And then I need to begin to worship. See, if we look in Scripture and you read in 1 Kings, you read about a guy named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. He did many amazing things. But in 1 Kings um, 18, he called fire down from heaven. What a spiritual high point. I don't know about you, but if I could go outside right now, and it's raining, it's wet. Elijah had water poured all over the altar many times, and he just calls fire down from heaven, and fire comes down and burns everything up, the water and everything. See, Elijah... Three years earlier, he prophesied that there'd be no rain, and it doesn't rain for over three years. And he shows up to this standoff between the other prophets and himself, and they can't call fire down because they're calling out to their God, and he calls fire down. I don't know about you, but that's a spiritual high for most of us. God does a miracle. He does an amazing thing. He does a breakthrough. But see, King Ahab... He had an evil wife named Jezebel, and she decided that she wanted to kill Elijah. So what does Elijah do? He would do what most of us would do if somebody threatened our lives. He runs. And as he's running, he stops at one point. God feeds him a couple times. But as God is feeding him, he gets to a bush and he sits down and he prays this prayer in 1 Kings 19 verse 4. Says he sat down under the bush and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Remember what we just talked about? He just called fire down from heaven. This was literally the day before. How many of you can relate? One day, everything's great. You've had an amazing day. Man, the whole week's been phenomenal. And all of a sudden, I wake up, and I don't want to get out of bed. Things just are are down. How many can relate that one day we're great, and we watch what God does? And all of a sudden, the next day, we just can't get out of bed. Here's Elijah. Elijah. I think one of the coolest parts of this story that I left out is after he calls fire down from heaven, he prays for rain and he sends his servant a few times to check to see if there's a cloud and all of a sudden the servant comes back and says, far off in the distance, there's a cloud the size of a man's fist. And Elijah goes, go tell the king to ride his chariot fast because the rain is coming. And the amazing part of this is, this is just fun for me. If you want to read it, read it. But it says that Elijah tucked his coat, his coat into his belt and ran ahead of the chariot. He was the flash before the flash existed. <laughs> These are just the things that God puts in his word. That makes me go. I don't understand. But all of this happens in one day. And the very next day. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm done. So here. Is what God does. Our loving and gracious and amazing God. He, he tells Elijah, just a step outside. He's hiding in a cave. And this is 1 Kings 19.11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Realize this. He says, go stand out in the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord has not left him. For the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart. Shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord... Was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. See, the presence of the Lord was already there. When we get fixated on our problems and the presence of our problems, we lose our focus on the presence of God. We need to be aware that His presence is with us. And He speaks in a gentle whisper. He whispers because He's close. He whispers because He's a loved one. He whispers... So we'll lean in. If you're sitting beside a loved one right now, if they want to whisper to you, you immediately lean in. And God whispers so we will lean in. We'll lean in to see what He has to say. God whispers so that you lean in, and then we focus on His presence. See, Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Just before that, Philippians, Paul writes, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's interesting as he's telling people to praise and to rejoice. In the middle of the trials, he stops and he says, "Just at the end of verse four, verse five, he says, "The Lord is near." The Lord is near. In the middle of it all, the Lord is near. Paul continues in Philippians 4 at verse 9. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. We need to remember to concentrate on his presence in our lives. To worship him in the times of toughness. When our minds want to race, we take control of our thoughts and we ask the Lord to take our thoughts and to concentrate on him and his presence and to worship him and the God of peace will be with you. The Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace, will be with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your peace in my life. Lord, I thank you for what happened years ago and and things in the past that, Father, would throw me into panic. Now, Lord, I'm able to walk through them differently. Help me, Lord, in those moments where I panic now or or, where pressure comes that, Lord, I, I hear your whisper and I lean in. Help everyone in this room and watching online, Lord, when the trials come, when the tough things come, when the heart begins to race, that they lean into you and you will bring them the peace that passes all understanding and that you will be with them walking through the challenges, walking through the trials. Father, help us to receive your peace that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. As I dismiss, I want to actually just read a verse over you. And as I read this, you are free to go after this. But I want you to go with this over your life. In Hebrews thirteen twenty to 21, it says this. I want you to receive this over your lives today. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that the great shepherd of the sheep equip you with every good for doing his will. And may he work in us that what is pleasing to him through Christ Jesus, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. I hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.